Hi, I'm Adrian Cropley, and welcome to A View from the Top, a regular feature from the Centre for Strategic Communication Excellence, with interviews with some of the world's leading communication professionals, as we explore their career journey. As I said in episode one, we did pre-record a couple of interviews on video. We've now moved them over to the podcast format. So I was lucky to catch up with Russell Grossman, ABC, and fellow CIPR in the UK. Russell's the Director of Communication at the Office of Rail and Road, and the Head of Profession for Internal Communication with the UK Government. So before we cut to that interview, let me tell you a little bit about Russell. Russell's worked in public affairs, employee engagement and change management as a senior director with analytical and strategic skills that he's gained over a 30-year career. It was great to catch up with Russell because we explored the fact that he's had extensive experience leading in high complex organizations and environments and in applying strategy, team leadership and innovation to produce some very creative solutions in the organizations he's worked for. Russell is a board director for Engage for Success, and he's a former IABC chair. He's also a fellow of the Chartered Institute of Marketing and the Chartered Institute of Public Relations and the Royal Society for Arts, Manufacturing and Commerce in the UK. In addition to his day job, Russell led the internal communications practice across UK government as the head of profession, and that's something we explored in the interview. So let's cut to that interview now as we join Russell. Um, So welcome, Russell. It's great to have you here online today. Hello. Hi. Now, Russell, I... I couldn't help noticing when I looked at your uh, your bio um, that you've got uh, this amazing role of head of profession for internal communication for the UK government. Now, I'm really fascinated to hear a little bit about that role, and I'd love to ask you some questions about your career and where you've come from, and uh, uh, and maybe some for uh, for our profession. So, I'd love to kick off there and and tell us a little bit about that role and what you're involved with. Sure. So that, that's what you might call an extracurricular role. It's a role I've had for about four years. Um, it is linked and attached to the government communication service, which is a cohort of some 4,005, 4,600 people um, here in the UK, all working for branches of the UK government, which, uh, as you can imagine, is a, uh, is a large, uh, large undertaking. And um, the role itself was, was, was created when we recognized that of the four disciplines that we do in the government communication service, that's essentially media relations and digital strategic communications, external affairs and internal communications. Internal communications was uh, at that time the core relation uh, and that it needed a professional boost and therefore the, cre- the role of head of profession uh, was, was created. Um, it, as I say, it's an extracurricular role. It is uh, something that I do in addition to my day to my day job. But actually, and we can talk about that later if you want. That's actually one of the philosophies of the Government Communications Service, the GCS, uh, which is uh, entirely reliant on voluntary effort. Um, that's fantastic, and I'd, I'd love to explore a little bit more about that. But I'd like to take us back. A little bit too too early in your career because we we really it's interesting when you talk to communication professionals and, and particularly people that have been around for as many years as you have is where did it all start for you so how did you first get into communication uh, into the communication profession where did you start uh, and maybe what was your educational background and how was that the connector into what you do now 
Well, I think like most communication practitioners, uh, I kind of fell into communications, public relations and the like. Um, I was on a graduate scheme uh, and uh, I found myself in the press office of a large organization as my first role. Uh, and uh, this was a high profile organization. It was one called the Greater London Council, uh, demised quite some years ago now. Um, and uh, as I got into this role, I thought, well, this looks interesting. And you got to speak with interesting people and occasionally you would uh, make the nib of uh, the local or metropolitan paper. And if you were really lucky, most of the scandals were kept out of it. Um, so uh, I thought this was quite interesting. Got, in, got into it a little bit more uh, and understood more, more of it. Um, I, I had also previously at my university been the vice president for communications for the students' union. So um, there was probably some interest and inkling there um, uh, as well. Uh, and I think that is probably the, the, the um, score with a lot of people that they don't intend to be in uh, or to come into the practice, but it just happens like that. It's, it's amazing because I do hear from a lot of people and that's what what happens for, for so many people and then they find their feet in there and obviously you've been in the profession for, for many years so it's, it's something you've, you've obviously enjoyed and I know you, you've had, had time in internal communications managing change within organisations too so what were some of the jobs that you've done through your career and, and maybe what are some of those career highlights for you? Well, I only came into, you mentioned internal communications and change, change uh, management. Uh, I only came into that uh, really when I joined the BBC, which was, uh, I suppose, uh, mid-career uh, taking my current, uh, my current tenure as an end point, but obviously not the end point. And um, uh, I, I was, uh, I basically pitched for a, a role at the BBC. It was the head of internal communications at the BBC. And I got the job and I was a little bit perturbed because this was, the first time I would have done an internal role. Uh, all my previous roles to that had been, you know, PR manager, press and public relations, etc. Uh, and at that time, particularly, which was the mid 90s, um, internal communications was regarded as the shit end of the business. And uh, I, I took yeah. some counselling, and basically the answer was, you don't turn a job at the BBC down. So I didn't. Uh, and and I, I just happened to arrive at the BBC. Uh, roughly coincident with a guy called Greg Dyke, who was um, the director general of the BBC, who was uh, an aficionado, an advocate, uh, and, and, and absolutely an ambassador for internal communications. Uh, and uh, it kind of went from there, really. And it's, look, I, I, I always remember, and I think it, it was one of the conferences, it may even be Washington uh, Conference right? you see many, many years ago, you talked about some of the changes that you had to manage at the, the BBC, and it seemed to be a time where you got a lot of your learnings, certainly in internal comms, particularly when you had a, such a supportive supportive leader. Um, is that what, you know, some of the things that you've, that's kept you in comms because of the, the challenges that are there? Uh, well, partly, yes. Uh, it's also a very interesting profession. It's one where if you do it effectively, you get the whole run of the C-suite. Uh, you get to be in the right of the centre and often the confidential centre of sometimes quite complex organisations. Um, and it's also one where, if you like that sort of thing, you get to counsel leaders uh, and you get to, to connect with a huge range of people. I think particularly in internal communications, if you are in and visible rather than invisible, uh, then you do get the whole run of the organization and you rock up to people's desks and you say, look, hi, I'm the, for example, head of internal communications or I'm, I'm the director of communications. 
could you tell me about that? And, and by and large, people yeah. people will, will, will do that. So th there is one thing just before we lose it, though, that I would want to say, and, and that is that uh, you mentioned that, uh, you know, Greg uh, was someone who, who exuded a lot of um, learning uh, on internal communication. I, I have been particularly fortunate, and it is serendipitous, to have worked with some really great leaders. And people who are great leaders are typically great communicators. Uh, I don't call myself yeah. a communicator. I regard myself as a practitioner in communication. I've no uh, evidence that I'm any better as a communicator than anyone else. But leaders are typically great communicators. And I've worked with uh, a lot of people from whom I have learned a huge amount. Uh, and I call this concept good grace. It means that if you are a communications practitioner, you're working with a great leader who is clearly a good communicator, then, then learn from them. Uh, write down what they do, use it later, and add it to your own kit. And, you know, and it, while, while we're on that topic, one of the things, and, and you know, even, even today I'm, I'm, I'm running a course in Sydney, and the, the biggest question I always get asked by uh, communication professionals is, is really how do you get that credibility in the C-suite? And of course, working with great leaders is terrific, but how do you stay relevant and, and, and you know, basically on their radar as a communication professional? Well, there are some things that you have control over and some things that you have no control over. Uh, the things that you have control over uh, are choosing who your friends are, um, yep. knowing whom to trust, being absolutely clear about the business of your business, being able to uh, remember facts, figures, opinions, moods um, that uh, actually are absolutely at the centre uh, of what your board or your executive team is, is concerned about. Uh, know your, if it's internal communications, know the people in your organization at least as good as the people who are on the board uh, and be able ultimately to offer them something different. Um, and that something different may have its root in communication, but ultimately uh, if you are on a, on a management team of any description, you are there because you are a good or you should be a good manager and leader. Uh, and therefore, it's not simply about the function or the creed that you bring, that's simply your base. The rest is uh, all the other things that contribute to good management and leadership. Yeah, brilliant. That's really some good tips and advice there, there Russell. And it's, uh, I think it's relevant for, for people that will be hearing this and watching this is to, to really understand, you know, how do we stay in the, the, the face of the executive in a very relevant way? So that, that's excellent. Thanks for sharing it. The, I, will just, the, I will just add, I will yeah. just add, might be of interest to people. Um, I mentioned there are things you can control and things you can't control. The things you can't control are the circumstances of the organization, uh, chemistry of a new leader, things like that. Uh, those are entirely entirely out of your control. But yeah. the ability that you have in terms of your personal qualities to be resilient, uh, combined with your own personal professional knowledge, allows you often to get over those issues. Yeah, I think that resilience issue is it's really important for people because you are forever even working in new organizations or in the current organization when you get new leadership in there is is, is adapting um to that um so tell me a little bit now you know i want to progress to to where you are now and uh you know it's quite obvious you're passionate about the profession because not only are you involved with the uk government now in a, in a more voluntary capacity you also chaired ibc um in a, in a voluntary capacity too so what is it that you're doing now and what is it that you're passionate about because there is absolute passion for the profession there to actually 
lead very senior roles in in the communication function and also contribute voluntary to to different organizations um, I think that's a multi-part question and so I'll give you a multi-part answer uh, firstly let, on the subject of, of voluntarism or, or what I would prefer to, dis, to call discretionary effort um, mm-hmm. I, I think any function of which communications obviously is one relies uh, for uh, discretionary effort uh, across the board in order to improve the profession through associations uh, so yes I was the international chair of IABC uh, now five uh, four years ago um, and and yes uh, I, I, it was a voluntary role but I uh, return, I, I got in return for that discretionary effort a huge amount of benefit from networking, from rubbing shoulders with people I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do so, and also obviously from learning from perspectives that, that were different different to my own. Um, in terms of passion, well, I, I probably have two passions just right at this moment. Uh, one is I love trains, that's why I work for the rail regulator in the UK. That's not something you tend to say at the interview, um, but actually uh, I, I have. I have I have a certain affinity for trains. I will just leave that there. If there is anybody that is interested <laughs> uh, in, in the difference between a class 86 and a class 66, we can leave that for later. <laughs> my, my other passion is professional standard, uh, and, and that I suppose is is one uh, key element of the role that I have as obviously head of profession uh, for internal comms across uh, GCS. Um, within the GCS, that's the Government Communication Service, uh, the thing that we mostly concentrate on our standards in the profession. Um, most of what we do is entirely public. In fact, you can go onto our website. If you just type GCS into Google, uh, you'll get one of two things. Uh, one is the Glasgow Coma Scale and the other is the Government Communication <laughs> Service. It's the latter one that you want. And yep. um, you, you'll see on there a huge canon of professional practice that uh, over time, and one of the other things that, um, one of the other roles I've had in the Government Communication Service for the last couple of years is as Assurance Director for our Professional Improvement Programme. Uh, you will see a huge amount of stuff that we put on there, which is always evidence-based, deeply researched, um, and uh, essentially is a framework for how to operate, not just in government, but as a communication practitioner in today's society. Brilliant. One of the things that we've particularly looked at, for example, is where is communication going and what are the things such as ethics or disruption or disinformation, what you may call fake news, uh, how are these things affecting the comms profession today? And that's actually my last question for you today is is really looking at, so what moving forward, if you you know got the crystal ball out, um, now, you, now, you, now you've been involved with what you have, what would your advice be to communication professionals of where maybe they should be putting their development, certainly into the future? How is our profession changing and, and where will it where will it be? Um, where should people put their skills? So um, I think the, the key the key message is this is a practice, practice of communications, which doesn't stay still. Um, it rapidly responds both to changes in society and changes in technology. And the confluence of those is creating a, what we call, as you know, a volatile, uncertain, uh, ambiguous and generally chaotic world that um, is really difficult to make sense of. And ultimately, as communications practitioners, our role is to make sense of that world for the organizations or the publics uh, that we serve. 
So um, being in touch with particularly developments in society and developments in technology uh, is the most important thing I think we can do to remain relevant, remain, uh, remain abs absolutely at the front of our profession uh, in, from now and into the future. Brilliant. Thank you. And that's a really good parting advice to give uh, at the end of our, our session today. And, and thank you so much, Russell, for sharing your knowledge, your insights. Uh, and thank you more importantly for everything you do for the profession. You know, it's been a, a long career and continues to be a long career, I should say. Um, and it's uh, terrific that you've taken the time out to, to share this with me today. My pleasure. Well, that was our interview with Russell Grosman in episode two. Episode three, we'll catch up with Heather Ritchie from Nokia Software Systems and have a conversation about her career. For any insights, tools, techniques that you need, please just go to croppycoms.com and our insights section and check out some of the resources that we have available and look forward to having you join us on our next episode. Thank you and goodbye.